There are very few things that investors can do that are free. But what about a podcast that delivers educational content on investing, saving strategies, financial planning, topical items of interest, and maybe even the odd wacky topic? Welcome to Free Lunch. Hosted by Greg Kremitsky and Colin Andrews of the CM Group at CIBC Wood Gundy, Free Lunch will bring listeners the firm's vast knowledge and experience in dealing with uncertainty to help clients achieve their vision through a deep understanding of what is important to them that requires planning, money, and time. Learn more and subscribe today at markets-work.com. Welcome back to the Free Lunch Podcast with Greg and Colin. And Greg, last week we discussed this idea of a bucket list and what it is and what you might find on it. That was kind of a fun conversation about, I don't know, what's a bucket list other than a movie. Some of that information that we came across, we did by doing a search on the World Wide Web, which is where I find most of the information that we the look World at. World right? Wide Web. You've heard of this before? The www. www. But it got us thinking, you don't have to put in www anymore. No. You just have to type in the, what is it called? The link or? URL. URL, yes. But it got us thinking about this access to information and questioning how much is too much. And there are a number of investment podcasts out there. And I won't call them out by name because some of these people are our friends, by the way. And there's many of them. There's many of them, but they really dig deep into technical matters of investing. And I don't know if most people want to know all of that. To me, most people want to know pretty simple stuff like, are they going to be okay? And I'm just wondering, do most people care about things like the various betas on the various factors in a multi-factor model? You and I care about that, but I'm just curious. Just because somebody talks about it on a podcast at great length, does it really mean anything to anybody? Not only in a podcast, but I mean, just think of every time you turn on any kind of media, you're getting it from all sides. That's right. From experts that are maybe expert, maybe not. But today we're going to talk about this access to information and try to work through what I would call the Goldilocks routine, which would be not too much, not too little, just enough. Yeah, right on. I like that analogy, Goldilocks, by the way. Goldilocks, it's a good one. So we're going to talk about how much information isn't always good for you with the internet, social media, and the 24-hour news cycles. We're constantly being bombarded with information, whether we like it or not. But the question is, is all of this information really beneficial for us? Well, absolutely. And just the sheer volume of information available to us is astounding. But it's really important to recognize that not all information is created equal. With so much information available, it's easy to fall into the trap of consuming too much, which can have negative effects on our mental and physical well-being, if you can believe it. Well, actually, I can believe it because you said not all information is created equal. I would say not all information is created factually either. That's right. Just for fun, I was looking at the kind of information that's out there, and, and this is just economic information. So this is the kind of stuff that's reported on every day, whether it's by BNN or CNBC or the business news, etc. And so there's about 200 indicators, and I'm going to go through each and every one. What? That's like four episodes. <laughs> anyway, lots of people are familiar with the main indicators, and these main indicators are things that I might argue are important for people to know. It's good to know these things. So the main indicators being GDP growth, the growth rate of the economy, interest rates, inflation rate, unemployment. That's kind of it. I mean, there's other main ones like government debt to GDP. It's of interest to many people, but it doesn't really affect us on a day-to-day basis. Balance of trade, trade deficits or surplus. 
credit rating, et cetera. But beyond that, you've got all the market data, commodity, currency, government, bond, and stock markets. You've got labor data, employment change, employment rate, full-time employment, initial jobless claims, job vacancies, labor force participation rate, and so on. There's about 200 of these on this list I'm looking at. Some of them are important to know. Some of them might be interesting to know. And others, what are you going to do with it? For the average person, is the number of housing starts a big factor in how they live their day-to-day lives or look at their finances or their goals? Not necessarily. That's a good example. Housing starts. I know from my studies that housing starts are a leading indicator of economic activity, as is the stock market. But as you say, just because you can look up the housing starts doesn't mean anything to, well, what should I do today, really? I think people try to simplify it too much. As you say, they look at inflation and interest rates and say, well, if we get those things in check, the market's going to go up. But there's like 10,000 variables, right? And hundreds of other just economic indicators that might interact with those two that you're looking at in particular. So these studies that we're going to quote today have shown that too much information can lead to decision fatigue, where we become overwhelmed and we're unable to make good decisions. And that kind of makes sense, right? Like your brain gets muddy. What should I wear today? Exactly. <laughs> you look in the closet. I, I could spend hours standing in front of my closet wondering <laughs> if I should wear this pair of jeans or a different pair of jeans. <laughs> so according to a study published in the journal Psychology and Marketing, consumers who are given too many options when making a purchase were actually less likely to make a decision and more likely to experience regret after making a purchase. Yeah, interesting. And it's it's not just the volume of information that's the problem either. It's also the quality of the information because with so much fake news and misinformation out there, it can be difficult to separate fact from fiction. And that can lead to confusion, distrust, and even harm if we make decisions based on false information. We've talked about this a lot over the last couple of years, but you look at some of the news around social media like Reddit, Wall Street Bets, where some of these companies that were in deep trouble prices got bid up because of what was going on in social media about the outlook for those companies. You want to know how hard it is to make fake news, Greg? How hard? It's not hard at all. Okay. I went on, for April Fool's Day, went on a generator on the World Wide Web. Oh, yes. A fake news headline generator. And I was able to create some pretty good looking fake news items. Crazy. Of course, it was just a joke, but it was a little shocking how easy it was. So... It's not just the fake news that's the problem, but it's also biased information. So according to a study by the Pew Research Center, people who get their news primarily from social media, things like when people say, oh, I found that on Facebook or whatever, they're less likely to be exposed to a range of viewpoints and more likely to have extreme political views. And that's just based off of which streams they're spending their time on. No, exactly. It's important to be mindful of the information we're consuming and how it affects us. And I think one of the key things is we have to prioritize quality over quantity and seek out credible sources of information. So people always say that, well, consider the source. I mean, that's so important when we're talking about financial information or news that would affect the future of our financial success. The other thing is we should also take breaks from consuming information got to give our minds and bodies a rest. And I can say for myself, I think I feel a whole lot better if I don't get up in the morning and start the day by looking at CNN or MSNBC or something like that. Yeah, good advice. But also, there was a study published in a journal called Computers and Human Behavior that found that taking breaks from social media 
can lead to lower levels of anxiety and depression. So maybe it's not getting up and looking at CNN in the morning, but perhaps it's getting up and looking at your social media feeds. Which I understand for many people, I myself am not very active on social media, so I'm saved that, but I just fill in the gaps with more cable news. Are you making a judgment call here? Because I'm pretty active on social media. Are you judging me? Yes, I am. (laughs) (laughs) You don't have to judge me because I have other people judging me on social media. (laughs) Well, you know what? It's not just social media that can be overwhelming. There was a study by the American Psychological Association showing that 59% of Americans feel overwhelmed by the amount of information they need to process on a daily basis. I can understand that. And that's a very significant number, like 59%. Because I find it, even in our day-to-day lives, things like email. How many emails do you get in a day? I get about 100. I'm probably somewhere between 100 and 200, a little more than you. I'm judging you now. That's okay. Of those 200 emails, there's probably like, I don't know, four of them that actually really require me to take action. So it's clear that too much information can have negative effects on our well-being. That could be email, it could be social media, it could be other things. But how can we learn to navigate the information age in a healthy way, Greg? One approach, and we've actually talked about this, or we haven't talked about it on a podcast as far as I recall, but I know we've sponsored webinars in dealing with this kind of thing. And one approach is to practice something called mindfulness. There was a study published in the journal Psychology of Consciousness talked about how mindfulness meditation can improve cognitive performance and reduce the effects of information overload. You've done some meditation, haven't you? For a few years, it was actually when I was finishing my MBA, I was pretty stressed out, didn't have a lot of free time. And one of my classmates suggested using this thing. What was it called? The app. Oh, it escapes me right now. Well, anyways, it was really good. (laughs) (laughs) We'll have to remember to reference that one. Every day I would do like a, I don't know, five to 10 minute meditation. It was a guided meditation. For sure. Because I'm not very good at just sitting there and getting lost in one word or something like that. But I found it really helpful. And so, yeah, it wasn't just that, but like the mindfulness to me also means being present. So a discussion we have in my household a lot is quite regularly people are saying, well, what if this happens? What if that happens? That what if question. And I always try to turn around to, well, what is, what is happening? Try to be more in the present. And that is for all of those social media and regular news outlets too. My daughter came home from school and she was like, well, what if Russia launches a nuclear war? Well, you can go pretty deep with that, but it's more like, well, what is happening? So anyways, I kind of went off on a tangent there. I didn't mean to do that, but we can learn to prioritize information and focus on what's truly important. And that's kind of what I'm trying to get at changing that what if to what is. So there's a study done by the University of California, San Diego, which I believe they also call UCSD. They do. (laughs) Where people who prioritize information are more likely to be successful in their personal and professional lives. Yeah, that that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. Well, we can also learn to be more critical of the information we consume. And there is another study published in the journal Human Communication Research showing that people who are more skeptical of information are less likely to be influenced by false information. And that's part of that critical thinking process. It's like you can receive a lot of information and a lot of it doesn't make sense. And if you actually just take time to process it and consider it and be appropriately skeptical, not cynical, but skeptical, you'll be in better shape. Yeah, you can't treat it all as equal. So all great tips. And I guess it comes down to like, By being mindful and intentional, there's another word that comes out of that 
camp. It's almost like we're at a yoga camp right now. Talk about being present, being mindful, intentional. And right now I'm not being present because I'm trying to think of the name of that meditation app that we used to use. (laughs) (laughs) It'll come to me. Like I I paid for the app for, I think I'm still paying for it. As a matter of fact, I'll find it anyways, because it is a good one. (laughs) But all those things, being mindful, intentional about the information we consume helps us to avoid the negative effects of too much information. And for me, that's the, when people, even in their portfolios, start talking about, I don't know, the guidance on the corporate earnings of a company in next quarter. It's like, well, so what? And half the time, that kind of information actually isn't even information. It's predictions. Because many times you'll hear, we're talking about expectations of earnings surprises. How do you expect an earnings surprise? Well, I was expecting to be surprised and I wasn't surprised. And so that's a big disappointment. (laughs) And then how the stock reacts to that. Because if they beat their unexpected surprise earnings, exactly, the stock typically goes down that day because it's not thought that they can replicate that in the next quarter. If they meet their unexpected surprise earnings, the stock (laughs) typically goes down because it's thought, well, they just met it. They didn't exceed it. So that's disappointing. Yes, it's disappointing. (laughs) And then if they underperform their unexpected surprise earnings for the quarter, well, then the stock goes down. Exactly. they, They did poorly. It's an interesting game. But listen, before we wrap up this part, I think it's also important to touch on the impact of too much information, as we talked about, on investing in security selection. And with the internet and various online platforms, we just have access to so much financial data and analysis. And I think we have access to too much. And by the way, Greg, I found that app. What's the it? app is called Headspace. Uh, it just came to me before you said it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Now I can be present and mindful as we go through the rest of this podcast. Oh, by the way, are we recommending people maybe use guided meditation through an app like Headspace? Absolutely. Why not? Well, it's going to hurt. So anyway, and having access to more information can absolutely be beneficial, but it can be overwhelming and lead to analysis paralysis. And that's what happens when investors are unable to make a decision just due to an abundance of information. And that can actually lead to missed opportunities, market timing, staying out of the market, et cetera. You've used that term many times over the years that I've known you, analysis by paralysis. I mean, I've heard you say that pretty frequently, actually. So in addition to too much information for analysis by paralysis, it can lead to a focus on short-term market movements rather than long-term fundamentals, which can result in poor investment decisions like, I don't know, stock market was down last year, so maybe I should just be in GICs forever going forward. When you talk about things like market noise, it's so true. Hey, I'm going to relate this to my weight loss journey. As you know, Colin, I'm always trying to lose a few pounds. You look good. Oh, you look good too. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) And what I find is when you're trying to lose weight, you tend to weigh yourself every day, which is sort of the equivalent of looking at your stock performance or your market portfolio performance on a daily basis. And what I find is the general trend of my weight loss is in the right direction right now. It's angling downward. But there are many days where, you know, it'll be up a little bit and then up again and then down more. And a lot of that daily change is just noise. Maybe you're becoming dehydrated or you're rehydrating or something. And just the amount of water you're drinking could have an effect on a daily basis. And that's noise because in the long run, it's the trend that's important. Taking that back now from something as mundane as weight loss to financial security, 
It's important for investors to filter through that noise and focus on information that's really relevant to their investment goals and strategies. And so just like looking at the markets every day, a lot of noise gets observed there. People should also be careful not to be swayed by popular opinions or trends, which can also be misleading and dangerous. So it's interesting you talked about this noise and your weight loss journey, to which I actually will tell you, you, you do look like you've lost a few pounds. Oh, so good stop for you. it. My son came home from the gym yesterday and he works out quite regularly and he was talking about his body dysmorphia. Oh. I was like, I didn't even know he knew what that meant. And I looked it up. It's a body dysmorphic disorder or body dysmorphia is a mental health condition where a person spends a lot of time worrying about flaws in their appearance, even though they're usually unnoticeable to others. So to me, that can actually be the same thing in your investment portfolio is we spend too much time looking at some of the, call it losers, and not focusing on the long-term trend of the fact that perhaps those portfolios have gone up by tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars over the time period that that person held on to one of those losers. So I guess where I'm going with this is when it comes to security selection, too much information can also lead to overconfidence in an investor's ability to pick things like winning stocks. And this can result in a portfolio that is overly concentrated and risky, or even in a portfolio that is well diversified, Greg, I would say you're still going to have a little body dysmorphia because you're looking at that one stock that you picked that didn't work out very well. Yeah. And studies have shown that investors who trade frequently or have high number of holdings, they tend to underperform the market. That's often due to the fact they're unable to filter out the noise and focus on the information that truly matters. Yeah. And that's just because having access to a lot of financial information, as we talked about, can be beneficial. But it's important for investors to be mindful of the potential drawbacks and developing that strategy that works for them. And we've spent a lot of time in our episodes talking about having things like a financial plan that then drives your investment strategy and your investment plan. Because we can put it all together, the financial plan, the investment strategy, the investment plan, and then somebody might say, yeah, I really want to buy 10,000 shares of GameStop. Exactly. (laughs) And so really, investors should focus on quality over quantity, for sure, when it comes to information, seek out credible sources of information, and then develop a long-term investment plan that takes into account their personal goals and risk tolerance, which is what we continually harp on. And it sounds boring, but it's a great point. Stick to those basics because when it comes to investing, it's important to know which information to focus on. So as you pointed out at the beginning, there's if anybody wants us to share this laundry list of economic indicators, we're happy to do so. Not sure what it's going to do to your day. So Greg, let's get back to what people should be focusing on in our arena. What are some key areas that investors should pay attention to? We've talked about this on, I would say, 75 to 80% of our podcasts. And The first main important factor to consider is asset allocation. So it's the most critical decision that investors will make. How much risk do you actually have in your portfolio depends on your asset allocation. And so we have to have the asset allocation that matches up risk tolerance and capacity with the portfolio itself. And then beyond that, investors have to look at their level of diversification because the importance of diversifying, again, is to spread risk across a variety of different, let's call them subclasses or sectors within each of the asset class. And again, as we've talked before, it doesn't mean owning 10 different energy stocks and thinking you're diversified. It's important to have a well-diversified portfolio that aligns with risk tolerance and investment goals, which is, again, where we usually start. Unfortunately, 
that body dysmorphia comes into play there because you'll have a really well diversified portfolio, but you bought that one stock that didn't do well. But just focusing on those bigger things, as you say, asset allocation, being diversified. The other thing people want to consider is taxes, fees, and expenses. I mean, those are exactly detrimental to the specific performance of a portfolio. The higher your fees, the more you're paying in taxes, the less return you have in your pocket. That's right. And so when it comes to the broader market, as we said at the outset, we think that most investors should be aware of and pay attention to certain economic indicators like interest rates, inflation, and GDP growth, because these factors can have a significant impact on the performance, purchasing power, as well as the overall market. But I think the key thing there is that you want to be aware of what's going on so you have a sense of control, but you don't want to use that information to start making radical changes to your asset mix or your diversification based on what a particular economic indicator might show you. So we've just spent 23 or so minutes talking about this stuff. We could have started with this exact statement, Greg. To sum it up, investors should focus on their asset allocation, diversification, fees and expenses, while paying attention to some economic indicators. By focusing on these key areas, we can filter out the noise and make informed investment decisions, and we can just do better. That's well said by you. Is it, as we say, we can just do better. Is that yeah. well said? Is that proper English? What was that word you said a few weeks ago? Deleterious. Deleterious. How does that fit in? Fit that in here somewhere, if you can. Well, it would be deleterious to become so overloaded with information that you're unable to make an investment decision. It could be deleterious to your long-term achievement of financial goals. Okay. So we just want to do good. Right on. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Where are we at now? I think the bottom line is that we're in a time an information age that really has brought about unprecedented access to information. You think about the olden days when we got all our information from the daily newspaper, or if you really wanted to dive into it, you might get the Wall Street Journal, and you'd listen to the regular news on regular television. So we can learn about anything now with the click of a button. And so there's incredible opportunities for education, innovation, and growth, but also the downside and the pitfalls of too much information we've just talked about. Anytime I need to fix something, where do I go? I go to YouTube or I go online. I do a search. I don't know who these people are that post all these videos on YouTube on like, you could pick anything. How to put your road bike in a box. There's somebody that's done a video on it. You'll be surprised to hear this because you know I'm a devoted non-do-it-yourselfer. But I actually fixed a leaky faucet in my kitchen yesterday. You're lying to me right now. No, no, no. How did you do it? Did you go on YouTube? I went on YouTube. And then I went to Plumateria and bought the part I needed. And Bob's your uncle. Good for you. The house isn't going to explode now, is it? Well, hopefully not from from a kitchen faucet, but you never know. It depends. When you put in a kitchen faucet, do you put the black wire to the hot or the cold? You got to ground it. (laughs) Okay. As you were saying, the internet and these technologies have made it easier for people to connect with each other as well, regardless of geographical distance. Like we went through this during the global pandemic. Did you yeah. know that we had a pandemic a few I years ago? I heard that. Yeah, I heard and that. And remember things like Zoom? All of a sudden, everybody was on Zoom, all their friends and family. I wondered why I still have a box of masks in my house. <laughs> for the next one. Hopefully never to come. But just this idea of being connected digitally, we've seen it even with clients. There's quite a few clients that even though we have the ability to meet in person now, are choosing to continue to meet digitally with us from wherever they are. 
that's not something that we had before. No, exactly. And as I said earlier, the other hand, the abundance of information has led to information overload and analysis paralysis. So we can become overwhelmed by the sheer amount of information, and that can definitely interfere with making decisions and taking action. And what you're seeing right now, and I know we've talked about already in this discussion, just this spread of misinformation and fake news. Like when I made that fake news generated headline and it linked it to an actual news source, you can see how easy it is to sway people. So with so many sources of information available, it's difficult to discern, well, what's true and what's not. And there can be serious consequences, particularly in the realm of politics and public opinion, as it relates to what's real news. And finally, which we haven't even touched on yet, could probably do a whole podcast on, there's lots of concerns around privacy and security because there's so much personal information being shared online. There's definitely a high risk of the information falling into the wrong hands, leading to identity theft and other cyber crimes. Yeah, I was just reading today online, on the line, Greg, somebody's warning you not to use public USB charging stations. Really? Yeah, because when you plug in your smartphone or whatever, your tablet, you could be opening up yourself to cyber crimes. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Crazy. So while the information age has brought a lot of benefits, let's face it, it's important to be aware of these potential drawbacks and take steps to mitigate them. Because as I was growing up, Greg, we had things like a TV with four channels. One of them was French, so you never watched it. The other three, you had to turn the dial to oh, pick yeah. one and make sure the rabbit ears were facing the right way. Dad had to go up on the roof and adjust the antenna. <laughs> yeah. How different is it now? Just the access to stuff. You want to watch a movie? You can watch a movie whenever you want. Oh, I know. Anywhere. It's so easy. Yeah. And so if you want to access information on economic indicators, the stock market, whatever, you can access it. Oh, you can. But it doesn't mean you're going to do something good with it. That's right. So by being mindful of the information you're consuming and how it's used, obviously we want to make the most of the opportunities provided by the information age, but we want to minimize the risks. For sure. Before we wrap up, quick question for you. Have you tried ChatGPT yet? I have tried it, yes. Yeah, which is a blast. <laughs> it is a lot of fun, hey? It's interesting, though, because there's a lot of people that are asking ChatGPT like specific questions. When will the stock market crash? Oh, yes. Things like that. And there is a way to get answers to those questions. And I was talking to a family member a while ago, beginning of February, and they said, the stock market is going to crash on February 13th. I said, how do you know this? And he said, well, I asked ChatGPT, and with its predictive powers, that's what it came out and said, February 13th. How did we do? That was a couple well, months ago. Yeah, well, yeah, it was almost exactly two months ago. I think the market's up a few percentage yeah. points since yeah, then. Yeah, it's been a good year. Yeah. <laughs> so, actually, I was looking today. The TSX was up something like, I think, 6.5% yeah. year-to-date. The S&P 500 up around 7% year-to-date. The aggregate bond index was up 3.5%. The DEX, I don't think they're called the DEX anymore. The Canadian Bond Universe. Yep. Was it called the DEX Universe? Yeah, not, not anymore. anymore. What's it called now? I can't remember. I don't know. Uh, bond Index. <laughs> Canadian Bond Index was up like 2.5%. So when you look at those numbers and you look back at everything that's happened in the last year, it's not too bad. No. I don't know. I see brighter days ahead. There's a lot of volatility and a lot of day-to-day volatility. And as we said earlier, that's what we call noise. Exactly. Right on. All right. Till next time. You bet. Thank you for listening to the Free Lunch Podcast hosted by the CM Group at CIBC Wood Gundy. 
To subscribe to this podcast to get more realistic insight on investing or to connect with one of our talented partners, please head on over to markets-work.com. We'll see you next time on the Free Lunch Podcast. The CIBC logo and CIBC Private Wealth Management are registered trademarks of CIBC. If you are currently a CIBC Wood Gundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Private Wealth Management consists of services provided by CIBC and certain of its subsidiaries, including CIBC Wood Gundy, a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc. CIBC Private Wealth Management is a registered trademark of CIBC used under license. Wood Gundy is a registered trademark of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Colin Andrews and Greg Kraminski are investment advisors with CIBC Wood Gundy. This information, including any opinion, is based on various sources believed to be reliable, but its accuracy cannot be guaranteed and is subject to change. CIBC and CIBC World Markets, Inc., their affiliates, directors, officers, and employees may buy, sell, or hold a position in securities of a company mentioned herein, its affiliates or subsidiaries, and may also perform financial advisory services, investment banking or other services for, or have lending or other credit relationships with the same. CIBC World Markets, Inc. and its representatives will receive sales commissions and or a spread between bid and ask prices if you purchase, sell, or hold the securities referred to above. CIBC World Markets, Inc., 2023.